Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 45, 1-3. This is found on page 38 in your pew Bible. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so the Egyptians, so the Egyptians heard it, and the household of, of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is the father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Grace. Well, good morning, and uh, again, welcome to Christ Community. We're so glad that you are here this morning. My name's Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, thanks for being with us for uh, celebrating the good news of the gospel together. And as we take a look in this passage that uh, we just heard read for us as we're continuing our series in Genesis, uh, I'd love to pray as we begin our time of looking at this passage, asking for God to be at work here uh, through his word this morning. So Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken in your word. We pray that by your spirit, you would speak afresh to us through this passage this morning. I pray that for myself and for each one gathered here that we would uh, listen for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to be forgiven is one of the most profound experiences that a human can have. And on the other hand, one of the most devastating and destructive experiences that a human can have is to withhold forgiveness. And I think we all recognize this. We all know this instinctively. Um, we love stories of reconciliation. We love stories of forgiveness, of, of people being reconciled and coming back together. But we also love stories of people getting what is coming to them, right? Stories of payback, stories of revenge, stories of people getting what they have coming. And those stories go viral on social media just as easy as stories of reconciliation and forgiveness. Um, there's like that story, uh, it was a while back, of a, of a California man who discovered someone had dumped trash on his property, and he, he went through the trash and found something that had the person's address on it, and he loaded up all the trash and dumped it back on their front lawn. Or maybe you heard the story a few weeks ago of uh, Daniel Reno, Kansas City woman here. This story made national news, but someone had stolen her car from a quick trip here in Kansas City, and she tracked her phone and also kind of where her credit cards were being used and tracked the thieves down herself and then called the police and live-streamed their arrest on uh, Facebook to all of her, her social media followers. These are, and we love these stories, right? Stories of people who get what they have coming to them. I think we, we all love those kinds of stories. And when you get to this moment in the story of Joseph, you could think that that is where this story is going. It's certainly where his brothers end up thinking that it's going, that they are going to get what they have coming to them. But it turns out entirely different. So let's look at that story this morning. We're just going to kind of walk through, tell the story, and then ask a few questions at the end that help us figure out how does this apply in our lives today. 
So if you look back a few chapters from where we heard the Scripture read this morning, we were in Genesis chapter 45, but if you go back a few chapters to Genesis 42, we pick up where Joseph had just been promoted from, he was, well, promoted, he was in prison as a slave, and then all of a sudden, instantly, because he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, all of a sudden now he is the second in command of the world's greatest superpower at that point in history of Egypt. So now he is leading this government effort to stockpile and store food during a famine, which is going to be coming in the future years. And just as Joseph predicted through Pharaoh's dreams, that famine comes, and now everyone everywhere is coming to Egypt as the one place that has food reserves and supplies to purchase food. And then one day, who should show up in Joseph's court? looking to buy food, but his brothers who had sold him into slavery, who had plotted his death so many years ago, they show up looking to buy food. And Joseph is shocked. Now his brothers, they don't recognize him at all. So they're just going there like everyone else to buy food. They do not recognize Joseph whatsoever. But Joseph in chapter uh, 42 verse 9 says he remembers all of a sudden all those dreams that he had when he was a teenager of his brothers and his parents bowing down to him. It's like, wow, like, oh my goodness, this is, this is coming true. God had revealed that this would happen all those years before. And so then Joseph begins to quiz his brother. And again, and he doesn't reveal his identity. He even speaks to them through an interpreter pretending that he is an Egyptian who doesn't speak the Hebrew language. He's trying to find out who, you know, how are they treating their father? Is he still, are they still the same person who were so awful to him all those years ago? And again, they have no idea that it's Joseph. They assume that Joseph is long gone, probably dead. And the text says that Joseph actually treats them harshly, and he puts one of the brothers, one of the older brothers, Simeon, into custody, into jail. And again, he's shrewdly trying to understand, have they continued down this path of destruction and evil that they have been headed down with him? Or have they changed at all? And it's there that Joseph learns that they actually haven't treated Benjamin, his younger brother, the same way that they had treated him. And and so he demands that they bring Benjamin back to him if, one, they want to get more food again, and two, if they want Simeon to be released from prison. So now Simeon, one of the other brothers, is in Joseph's jail, locked away. The other brothers return home with their grain, and as they're going back home, they open up their sacks of grain, and they find that the money that they used to buy that grain with is actually in the bags of grain that they have. And that totally freaks them out, because now they're worried, are the Egyptians going to think that we stole our money back? So they get home. They consume the grain. They, they tell their father, Jacob, who's very old at this point, if we want to get Simeon back, if we want to buy more food, which we're going to have to buy more food, Dad, at some point we're going to have to, we have to take Benjamin with us. He was so clear about that. But Jacob doesn't want to send Benjamin. He's so worried about losing a yet another son. Joseph's gone and his mind dead. Now Simeon's locked up in Egypt. He, how can he send another son? But finally, the food situation gets dire enough that he, he finally agrees, take, take Benjamin. And Judah, one of the other brothers, 
tells him, look, dad, I will protect Benjamin with my life. If anything happens, I mean, I will give my life to protect him. And so they go, and when they get to Egypt, Joseph receives them again, who again, they have no idea yet at all that it's Joseph. And he sets this feast for them, and they have this, this roaring party. And then in chapter 44, the, the brothers head out, but Joseph has one of his servants put his special silver cup into Benjamin's bag. And then they send a, a guard out after them, and they search the bags, and they find this, this silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And, and Joseph stops, and he accuses them of treachery. And his brother Judah shockingly steps up and pleads with Joseph. Joseph, do not, don't do this. Don't take Benjamin. Take me instead. Take me instead. And suddenly, in Genesis 45, then Joseph sends all of the Egyptians out of the room. And I wonder what the brothers are thinking in this moment. Is this the, is this the moment that this Pharaoh, this, this leader of Egypt, the Pharaoh's right-hand person, is this the moment that he actually personally just executes us? Is, is this the end for us in this moment? But instead, Joseph starts weeping. I mean, he just loses it. He starts crying uncontrollably, like a really messy kind of cry, right? And, and it says he cries so loudly that the Egyptians throughout the entire palace can hear him weeping. And again, remember, even at this point, the brothers still don't know who he is. I mean, they have to just be completely confused at this point. What is happening right now? And finally, Joseph, he just can't contain it anymore. And he blurts out and he says to his brothers, I am Joseph, verse 3. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I just, I can't even begin to, to wrap my mind around what Joseph's brothers had thinking in that moment. Joseph is alive and he's the most powerful person in the known world right now. I mean, we, we're, we're, we're done. We're finished. Now, the ESV, the English Standard Version, which we're reading from this morning, translates that phrase that they were dismayed. They couldn't answer him for they were dismayed. It's really uh, too, too weak, I think, of an English word, the Hebrew phrase that it means to be horrified, to be out of one's senses, paralyzed with terror. And, and again, with good reason. They are expecting this is a story of where they are going to get what they had coming to them. And they're freaking out. But Joseph tells them to come close. And he quickly assures them he's not angry with them. He even tells them not to be angry with themselves. And, and then he goes on to talk about God is the one who is really behind all of this in order to save them and preserve not only their lives, but the lives of many. Take a look at this in verse 5. This is, this is incredible. It's the utter opposite of a payback story. And Joseph says, And do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For this famine has been in this land for two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then down to verse 15, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. 
And his brothers talked with him. And his brothers talked with him. Now, what Joseph isn't saying here is that somehow God is the author of evil or, or that he somehow wanted this evil to come on him. No, but he's saying, still, the brothers are responsible for what they did. They were the ones who plotted his death. They were the ones who then sold him into Egypt. But he's saying God is greater. He is bigger, more powerful than their evil. And so Joseph forgives his brothers and welcomes them back in. And notice the final sentence in verse 15. He says, the narrator just tells us, and then after he, he hugs them, weeps with them, he says, and he talked with them. They talked together. Now, why is that significant? Well, the author uses that same little phrasing all the way back in chapter 37 when the story began, but in the opposite way. So there in 37, if you remember, if you were here with us, it says the brothers could not speak to Joseph with kindness. They could not speak to him with kindness. And now they're talking together. It's this picture of a relationship that's, that's beginning to come back together. So wow, right? This is an incredible story, an incredible story of forgiveness of, of someone who's been so incredibly and deeply wronged who then is receiving back and offering forgiveness to his family. But, but what does that mean for us? I mean, how does Joseph forgive like this? And, and is it even possible for us to forgive like this? Well, here's the secret to forgiveness both in Joseph's life and it's still true for us today. And that is that you can only forgive as big as your God. You can only forgive as big as your God. If there, if there is someone in our lives who we cannot forgive, and again, forgiveness is often a process, it doesn't happen overnight, but if there's someone in our lives who we cannot forgive, we don't have a forgiveness problem. We have a God problem. Because there's one catalyst that Joseph names, he names it four times in verses five through nine of our chapter this morning as to where and how he ended up where he was. And the answer is God. Our capacity to forgive directly correlates to the size of our God. How big he is, how much in control we think he is. Okay. But I can imagine you saying, all right, Pastor Bill, that's great. That's great for Joseph. But how do I get there? How does that actually work out for me in my life tomorrow, my Monday life, the rest of my life outside of this church service here this morning? That's a good question. And to, to get there, we need to ask three questions about this God-sized forgiveness that Joseph displays and, and this first is just, what is forgiveness? What are we talking about when we talk about forgiveness? And then secondly, we need to ask, why forgive? And then thirdly, how do we become a person of forgiveness? So first of all, just what, what do we mean by forgiveness? What are we talking about in that? Why do we offer forgiveness? And then finally, how do we become the kind of person who's able to do that? Well, first, we just need to ask the question, what is forgiveness? What are we talking about here? And I, 
I think a helpful short definition of forgiveness is this, that, that forgiveness is courageously naming and releasing a wrong done to you. That forgiveness is courageously naming and then releasing a wrong done to you. Uh, those are both really critical parts, the naming and the releasing, and they need to happen in that order. So first of all, forgiveness involves naming a wrong that's been done. Right? Forgiveness is not, let me be so clear, forgiveness is not ignoring wrong, it's not sweeping evil under the rug, it's not pretending like nothing bad happened. No, forgiveness is first and foremost names that a wrong has taken place. Forgiveness is not ignoring evil. In fact, it's, it's the utter opposite. If, if no wrong has been done, if no evil has taken place, then, then there's no need for forgiveness. This is where I've always been so helped by C.S. Lewis's distinction between excusing and forgiving. Take a look at this, what he, he writes. I think this is so helpful. He says, there is all the difference in the world between forgiving and excusing. Forgiveness says, yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. I will never hold it against you, and everything between us will, two will be exactly as it was before. This, and on the other hand, but excusing says, I see that you couldn't help it, or you didn't mean it, or you weren't really to blame. And if one was not really to blame, then there's nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. And Lewis is exactly right. For real, forgiveness names that some wrong has been done. And, and Lewis points out in that essay that oftentimes in any given situation, there's usually a mixture, right, of, of sort of something that we, we couldn't help and you know, that, that needs to be excused, but that there is really then something also that we're responsible for in that moment. And what he says is, is forgiveness is about that little part left over for which there is no excuse. Yes, we can excuse one another for the excusable, but forgiveness is what we do when there is something that's inexcusable, there is no excuse for. That your boss never should have spoken to you like that that your teacher shouldn't have treated you that way, that your friend should have never told that secret that you entrusted her with. Forgiveness involves naming a real wrong. It doesn't ignore or excuse. Instead, forgiveness releases. So first of all, forgiveness names a wrong. And then it, the second part of that is forgiveness releases. Forgiveness is to forgive someone, is to release someone, to set them free. Instead of making them pay for what they've done, saying, I'm going to make them hurt like they have hurt me. Forgiveness releases them from that. It absorbs the dead into yourself. And this is where we, you begin to see, and I think it's a helpful to sort of take it out of the context of relationships for a moment. We use the language of forgiveness that way in other contexts, right? We use the language of forgiveness in the financial context, right? We talk about loan forgiveness or debt forgiveness. And what happens when someone forgives a loan, right? The person who forgives the loan says, you who took out the loan, you no longer are obligated to pay it back. You don't have to pay back the debt, but that doesn't mean that the debt just disappears, right? No, the person who made the loan now takes that loss. They absorb that debt. They, they pay instead of the other person. That's what forgiveness does. It absorbs the debt. It pays what was owed. It releases the other person from having to do that. 
Now, before we go any further into the second question here on, on why forgive, I just want to pause and I want to name maybe some things that you're thinking or objections or questions that you might have at this moment. And one of them might be, but does forgiving mean forgetting? I just, I just don't know if I can do that. Does is forgiveness mean forgetting? The answer is no, especially not in the sense of sort of this, it's not like we have this magical kind of Harry Potter charm done to our memory, right? And it just kind of erases that thing. And then we know that's, that, that, that's what happens in forgiveness. And we don't even know that some wrong has happened to us. Of course not. Remember, forgiveness names the wrong. But forgiveness transforms the remembering. I love how theologian Lewis Smedes put it. He says this, Forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. Let me, let me read that again. I think it's so key. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. And it's powerful what true forgiveness does. It, it doesn't delete it. It doesn't pretend that it, it never happened, but it, it transforms the way that we remember. But another objection or question that you might have thought here might be, but, but what if someone else doesn't acknowledge the wrong or they're not willing to, to sort of listen to me and say, you, you've hurt me in this way? How does forgiveness work in that moment? And let me just say two quick things to that. First of all, the forgiveness in the sense that we're talking about here this morning isn't necessarily uh, dependent on what the other person does. Forgiveness is saying, I will not make you pay. I will not try to hurt you like you tried to or have hurt me. So, so you can choose to not make the other person pay even if they haven't asked you to forgive them. You can take that posture toward them. But along with that, this is the second thing then, that forgiveness does not automatically mean that that relationship is instantly restored or, or that there's trust and reconciliation in a full and complete way, especially if the other person is not willing to acknowledge that they've done anything wrong or maybe they don't repent or they just continue to, to have a pattern of hurting you. In that case, reconciliation and trust, they, it might not be possible yet, but you can still have a posture toward them of saying, I will not make them pay I will not make them suffer like they have made me suffer. That's a whole other sermon on how do you build good boundaries around people who don't want to be reconciled, who cannot be trusted, who have a pattern of continually hurting you or others. But this morning is about forgiveness. So we need to ask the question, then why? Why forgive? I want to name two things here. The first is is God. (laughs) And the second is yourself. And the first reason we forgive is God. God is an outrageous forgiver. And if you place your faith and your trust in him, if you're following after Jesus, you're saying, I am a Christian. I am trusting in Jesus. I'm trying to walk in the way and pattern of Jesus. Then you will be a forgiver. Or you will, over time, exit the way of Jesus. And recently I was talking with a friend of mine and about this topic of forgiveness, and he told the story of, of how his dad had abandoned um, him and his family when he was growing up, and 
had left them and you know, went off and, and married another woman even before he had kind of fully finished divorcing his, his mom and all the pain that that caused for him and how it wounded his mom and wrecked their family only to have his dad reappear during his college years to ask him for his forgiveness. And after how badly he had been hurt and how messed up their family had become and all that, and now he shows up and he, and he just wants to be forgiven? Really? My friend knew that forgiveness didn't mean that he and his dad were just going to be instantly best friends and that all their family was going to get put back together just like nothing had ever happened. But remember, forgiveness, it doesn't automatically equal perfect relationship or trust immediately. But as my friend talked about that moment of his dad asking him to forgive him, he recounted this really profound moment. And that is, he kind of went off and he was thinking about this and wrestling with this. And what does it mean to forgive my dad? And he said that, you know, at the end of the day, there wasn't anything that magical that happened as he prayed. And he wrestled with this. He said, I just realized something. I asked myself the question, do I want to follow Jesus? He said, actually, this isn't about my dad. He said, do I want to follow Jesus? And if I want to follow Jesus, I must be a forgiver. I want to follow Jesus, I must be a forgiver. And that's right. It's really hard. And some of you have been hurt in ways that are unspeakably difficult. And it's right because it's how we have been forgiven by Jesus. And it's right because it's how Jesus teaches and talks about forgiveness in the kingdom that he's bringing, in the community that he's creating. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us to pray like this. Many of you know these words by heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then what? Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sin. Forgive us our debts. Then what? As we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus links our experience of forgiveness by him to our experience of offering forgiveness to others. And then after, immediately after this, so you get the Lord's Prayer, and then the very next verses in the Sermon on the Mount, it's like Jesus just comes back and makes sure, just so in case it wasn't clear in the prayer, let me just make this really clear. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And you also like Jesus could have stopped there, but again, he goes on and makes it even more explicit. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's one of the hard things that Jesus says really hard thing. If you are a Christian, if you are following the way of Jesus, forgiveness is just part of the deal. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean it always happened instantly, but it is part of the deal. Jesus, he, just, he couldn't be more clear here. 
He's basically saying, if you are not willing to forgive, it means that you haven't actually experienced the kind of forgiveness that I'm offering to you. So that's the first reason, because of God. Because we have been forgiven. So so to deny forgiveness to others is to deny the very heart of the Christian faith. What is at the very center of Christianity? It's it's Jesus dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is the core of what Christianity is built on. But second, it's also in our own interest to forgive. Because of what has been done in evil, you know, when we have been wrong, when we have been, been sinned against, that creates soil in our hearts that is ripe for bitterness to grow. And bitterness and unforgiveness will make you miserable. Bitterness and unforgiveness will make you miserable. You see, unforgiveness, holding a grudge, it's like taking a deep breath and holding your breath, hoping that the other person is going to pass out. It makes you miserable and it doesn't do anything for them. In unforgiveness, two people lose. But when you offer the posture of forgiveness, even if the other person doesn't want anything to do with you, even if, if, you, if they don't want to be reconciled, but if you offer the posture of forgiveness, if you take the position of, I am not going to make you hurt like you made me hurt, I'm going to release you from that, you can set yourself free. You can set yourself free from the burden of bitterness, from the crushing pain of holding a grudge. Okay, but we still need to ask one more question here. And that's how do we become the kind of people who can forgive like that? How do you become a person of forgiveness? And I want to just offer you two practices, two habits that you can start implementing in your Monday life to begin becoming the person of forgiveness. Because it's on Monday where so much of the forgiveness has to take place, isn't it? Because yes, people here at church will hurt you. You might be hurt by someone in your community group, and, and you know, that, that definitely happens. In fact, some of you, there's probably someone here this morning who needs to ask forgiveness of someone else in this room. There's probably someone here who, who needs to forgive someone else in this room. And if you're here with your family, I can almost guarantee you that that's true. Um, we're going to get to that in a second. I'm, I'm not talking about those family relationships just yet. But we hurt one another in church sometimes, don't we? If that's, if that's where you're at, I, do that. Ask for forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. Even this morning, find that person. Go to them. Say, I, I need to ask you to forgive me. Go to them and say, I, I know you've asked me to forgive you. I, I really, I need to forgive you. Do that this morning maybe, with someone here in, in this room. But most of the time that we have is spent at home, at work, or at school, and those are the places where forgiveness really has to play out, right? Those are the places where our relationships are, are the closest, where we tend to, to have friction with people the most often. And so here are just two practices to help you in that. One, update your everyday language, 
update your everyday language, name when a wrong has been done, and then actually forgive people. And, and I do this with our kids so often, right? We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, invariably throughout the day, something happens, they get into a fight, somebody hits somebody else, right? And then you have, as a parent, you step in and say, okay, Lucy, say sorry to your sister. Isla, I'm sorry. Isla, what do you say? Lucy, I forgive you, right? We walk through this, I'm sorry, I forgive you, back and forth. But somehow when we grow up as adults, we stop saying the I forgive you part. Have you noticed that? Someone says, I'm really sorry I hurt you in this way. And what do we, we say something like, oh, it's okay. Or, ah, don't, don't worry about it. It's all right. And I actually did this with, with Lucy the other day. I, she needed to say sorry to me for something. And so she, she said, she said sorry. And I quickly just replied out of the I was like, it's okay. But she followed up with, but dad, what do you say? <laughs> and I was actually puzzled for a moment because I, I kind of said, what, what do you mean? She said, dad, you didn't say I forgive you. And she's right, because there's a difference between saying it's okay or, you know, no big deal, and actually extending that person the I forgive you. Now, we also need to be the kind of people who can receive an I forgive you when we ask for forgiveness, because sometimes when someone actually says I forgive you, isn't our first kind of response like, well, who do you think you are? <laughs> right? And the reason that is, friends, is because so often we don't really want to be forgiven. We want to be excused. We, we want the other person to say, no, you actually didn't really hurt me. But when we've actually hurt someone, we need them to name that and we need to receive their forgiveness. So name the wrong, ask for forgiveness, and when the time comes, offer forgiveness. That's the first thing. Second, make a daily decision to forgive. Don't let things fester. Be quick to ask for forgiveness and be even quicker to extend forgiveness when someone asks you for it. Daily, ask yourself the question, who do I need to forgive today? And let me tell you, it might be the same person as yesterday. Maybe even for the same thing. Sometimes forgiveness is a daily choice that we make. Especially when someone's really deeply hurt us. So upgrade your everyday language and make a daily decision to forgive. But again, how do we actually become the kind of person who can do those practices, who actually will implement those practices? Well, there's this moment in the story, the moment where everything changes in the narrative for Joseph, and it's in chapter 44, verse 33. And listen again to the story. Judah was finishing his long address to Joseph where he's offering himself in the place of Benjamin. He says, take me instead. Go, just, just let the boy go. Let Benjamin go home. Take me instead. And this is how Judah concludes in verse 33. He says, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let Benjamin go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. And the very first or next verse that happens is Genesis 45.1 where Joseph just breaks down in tears. Where we began our story this morning, what changes Judah offers himself as a substitute. He says, take me instead. A substitutionary sacrifice. 
And, and friends, all forgiveness is a form of substitutionary sacrifice. It is saying to the person who wronged you, what you did hurt, it caused me pain, but I will absorb that into myself. I will not turn it into bitterness. I will turn it into kindness and love and grace. And the only way you will ever really see, the only way you ever really understand that and be able to do that is that it's already been done for you. Because you see, Jesus, who is a descendant of Judah, in his genealogy, he traces his human kind of story back through Judah. He steps forward on a cross and says, take me instead. And this is the first step to becoming a Christian, to understanding the gospel, of seeing that you have wronged others, that you have incurred debts with others, that you have incurred debts with God, but instead of God standing over you as a judge condemning you forever, the Son of God, God himself, Jesus says, take me instead. I forgive you. And he goes on the cross and absorbs our wrongs into himself, our evil. He takes our debt, the Son of God, to be forgiven is perhaps the most profound human experience. Have you had it? Have you heard Jesus say, for you, take me instead? Have you let Jesus forgive you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning in gratitude for the unimaginable grace and forgiveness that you have extended to every single one of us. And Lord, would you make us a people who extend that same kind of radical, doesn't make sense kind of forgiveness to those who are around us. Because that's how you forgive us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.